Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. So today, I'm going to talk a little bit about one of the things that I hear so often. It's one of those things that makes all of us dietitians want to hit our heads against the wall. It's when a patient comes to you about diabetes and they say, oh, my doctor told me not to eat carbohydrates. That is, um, yes, that is something that <laughs> it is kind of an aggravation to uh-huh. the point where I, I'm, I get frustrated because I feel like it doesn't do patients any service right. to tell them that without giving them information on, on how to do it correctly, how to eat those carbohydrates, you know, referring to a dietitian, it's kind of just easy to sort of throw that statement out there without realizing how many healthy foods that you're now asking your patient to exclude from their diet. Right. Because people don't understand what you mean when you say that. Right. So we're going to talk about that today as we go along. And also we're going to do another debate at the end. One of the things that probably is the biggest, one of the bigger controversies around diabetes is the use of artificial sweeteners. Mm -hmm. Specifically, the one I think you think about it the most is diet soda. Uh And so we're going to have a little diet soda, regular soda (laughs) smackdown here at the end, a little debate uh, to see if uh, we can kind of come up with a case for both. All right. November is American Diabetes Month, and so this was on my mind, and I thought this is one of those things that frustrates me the most. I do have, like, if I had a dollar for every time a client walked in my door and said, my doctor told me not to eat carbohydrates because they're diabetic. You would be independently wealthy. I would be. (laughs) I would be. So... Let's let's give a little bit of background on diabetes to start us off, and then we'll, we'll go into this a little bit more. Diabetes occurs when blood glucose levels, which are also sometimes called blood sugar levels, are too high. Blood glucose comes from the food we eat, and insulin is a hormone that's made by the pancreas, and it gets released to help the glucose move from your bloodstream into the cells you need to for energy. If your pancreas doesn't make enough insulin or your body isn't able to properly utilize it, the glucose from your food stays in your blood. So there are a couple of different kinds of diabetes. If you're maybe of an older age, you might refer to the, you know, hear that term juvenile diabetes. We don't really use that term anymore. (laughs) Um, But even I'll still see patients who refer to that Mm -hmm. as, you know, childhood diabetes or juvenile diabetes, and that's type 1 diabetes, which is a little bit different than maybe where we're going to go today, but it is still an important condition to recognize. Sure. So tell tell me us a little bit more about type 1 diabetes. Yeah, so for type 1 diabetes, the body actually does not produce insulin. At all. At all. Right. So you can't get that blood sugar out of the bloodstream into the cells for energy at all unless you have insulin and your body is not making it. So that's the serious, very serious type of diabetes. And that can be a a really life-threatening medical condition. Yes. Often happens pretty suddenly. Mm -hmm. Often in children. But sometimes even in adults, I've seen patients well into their 30s and 40s who are newly diagnosed type Type 1 diabetics. 
not as common, although maybe more common these days? I don't know if it's more common um, necessarily, but I've, I see more of it. Yeah. And maybe it, you know, in previous times they would have been just considered a type 2 diabetic. Right. We'll talk about here in a second. Mm-hmm. But finding out maybe they actually do have type 1 diabetes. Right. Um, type 1 diabetes is autoimmune. So if you remember way back in podcasts, we talked about <laughs> celiac disease. Mm-hmm. That's a different kind of autoimmune condition. Type 1 diabetes is also autoimmune. Mm-hmm. But like you said, the body produces no insulin at all. And so when that whole thing shuts down and quits, (laughs) there is really nothing that the patient can do except go on lifetime, you know, kind of supplying their own insulin through through shots or through pumps or other other means. Right. So just to back up a little bit even is just to reemphasize what I said in the beginning is blood sugar or blood glucose that's what goes into the cells and gives us energy. Right. That's the body's preferred fuel source. Right. Type 2 diabetes. Right, which so we maybe used to refer as adult onset. Do you remember when right. it was called adult yes, onset? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was. <laughs> right. And again, we now know that that's not the case. Right. Because children can get type 2 diabetes, unfortunately. Unfortunately, and that's tied to obesity. Mm-hmm. We know that excess weight has a role to play with the body's ability to utilize insulin. And so we're finding more and more issues with that younger and younger instead of it used to happen later in life. Right. Because we didn't see so much obesity until later in life. Right. So type 2 diabetes is the most common form, and it means your body isn't using the insulin properly, so the insulin's there. And while some people can control their blood sugars with healthy eating and exercise, some people need medication as well to manage it. This is something that I think patients don't, I don't know about you, don't always understand that Mm -hmm. diabetes is progressive. Mm. And so many patients, maybe they could start with just diet and exercise and everything was going along pretty well. Right. Um, But then all of a sudden, maybe things are getting a little higher and then they need a medication and then sometimes that, you know, kind of. Uh, goes on and needing maybe insulin shots and and patients often feel like they failed right if they just you know all of a sudden diet yeah diet and exercise isn't working anymore right um and i i try to reassure them just like any other chronic illness there is some progression Mm -hmm. and it would be normal for you to progress to needing a medication or normal for you to progress to needing insulin at some point right and we hope that's not the case but it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong right um or that you're failing but where you should start is with lifestyle absolutely and diet and if at all exercise. possible and even if you do get put on medication right. don't stop the diet and lifestyle changes right. because those are really actually helping you more than you, even though you need medication now too right it's just one other tool in your toolbox exactly exactly so yeah part of managing type 2 diabetes is maintaining a healthy diet whereas with type 1 diabetes it was taking insulin right you're going to have to take the medication right. from the get-go. Although type 1 diabetes, we hope that they eat in a healthy way. Sure. Right, of course. <laughs> right. We're but not. it's not the number one uh, treatment. Sure. Yes, and I, yeah, I didn't mean to, because for sure type 1 diabetes diet plays a, a, a very important role because these people actually need to regulate the amount of medication they're getting with the carbohydrates that they're consuming right. so that they're maintaining a good balance because it's going to be a balanced thing between right. how much insulin they're consuming instead of what the body's making. Right. Fitness is another thing that can help manage type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. And so 
that's exciting. I used to be aware of a program called Dining with Diabetes. Yes, I've heard of that. Services. Yes, I've heard of that. And the coolest thing they did in these presentations was uh, an ex- they did an actual, they took somebody's blood sugar, put them on a treadmill for 10, 15 minutes, took the blood sugar again, and saw the, you know, decline in blood sugar. And just, I don't know, it just, it seems like, you know, it's just, it, it is powerful to be active mm-hmm. and how that can play a role in decreasing ex- mm-hmm. your or, or decreasing your blood sugar levels. Right. Now you have to be careful with that. You don't want to do that on an empty stomach. As a diabetic, we have to be careful and regulate that. But, yeah. you know, I don't know. <laughs> are there populations that are more at risk for developing type 2 diabetes? So as I said, when you, when you have increased weight, you are definitely mm-hmm. more at risk mm-hmm. for type 2 diabetes. Right. Certain ethnic groups are certainly more at risk for type 2 diabetes, Mm -hmm. um, as well as moms who've had diabetes when they're pregnant. Correct. Gestational diabetes is what that's called. And so you might have a little bit of insulin resistance, which is uh, what gestational diabetes basically is. Right. So gestational diabetes, typically, again, if you've been somebody who's had that, it doesn't mean that you will become diabetic and have have developed diabetes. Mm -hmm. But it means that you're more at risk for that. Correct. And I always tell my moms who have gestational diabetes, you know, it's not certainly any type of sentence that you're going to receive, but it mm-hmm. means that maybe some lifestyle changes long term can mm-hmm. hopefully help prevent that. Right. Yeah. And, and then, there, of course, there are people with prediabetes. And prediabetes is that insulin resistant type condition that you've mentioned a couple of times already. Yeah. Um, prediabetes means when blood sugars are starting to creep up. Correct. And this is something that if you um, need some motivation to visit your doctor for a yearly physical, getting your blood sugar checked on a yearly basis is a great idea. Yes. Um, maybe not so much when you're in your 20s, but certainly your 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. having that monitoring, particularly if you have a family history of diabetes or you had gestational diabetes when you were pregnant Correct. or maybe you're overweight to have that blood sugar checked on a regular basis so you can pick up those little rises before they become big ones. Yes. The American Diabetes Association website does have a um, test that you can do to screen yourself. Right. Kind of your risk of diabetes. Right. So I'll put that in the show notes so right. that everybody can check that out. Right. And do a quick little screen yourself. So another thing they monitor with diabetes is called your hemoglobin A1C. So that's a test you can do at the doctor's office as well as just a blood sugar test. Uh, and it's it's more indicative of your blood sugars for the last two to three months. Okay. So it gives you a little bit of a, this is how you've been doing instead of a single shot, this is where your blood right. sugar is at today. Right. If your blood sugar, your A1C is between 5.7 and less than 6.5%, it's an percent, then that's when they consider you the pre-diabetes we were talking about. Right. Pre-diabetes, just like gestational, is not any type of this is definitely going to happen to you. Correct. But I always kind of tell my, my patients it's a warning shot. Yeah. Um, that maybe sure. some action is needed. <laughs> yeah. And it's a time where you can sometimes do it with diet and exercise, although some doctors are now using um, some uh, diabetes drugs like metformin. Really? Uh-huh. That's yeah. what we're seeing is metformin being used in prediabetes. It does lead mm-hmm. to a little bit of weight loss, which can be helpful, but it also comes with side effects right. um, that sometimes people don't find tolerable. Yeah. Um, so if that's the case and you, you find that you're not, you know, um, wanting to do a medication, giving yourself a chance with some pretty concentrated 
exercise in particular. Diet's really important, but exercise in particular right. can make a huge difference. Right. And I've seen that. I've seen that with clients who, not just pre-diabetic, but newly diagnosed diabetic too. Mm-hmm. We can see that impact of diet and exercise. It is a change. It is a change you need to make. But some minor changes that you can make that can help with controlling your blood sugar is not what the doctor says to avoid carbs. Right. (laughs) So let's unpack that a little bit. I I really think, and maybe I'm just trying to get into heads of, of physicians, and I know how busy they are, to think maybe what they mean when they say avoid carbohydrates is don't drink pop, don't drink juice, watch your cookies and cakes and sweets. Mm-hmm. But I have a hard time believing that doctors say apples are bad for you. Right. I have a hard time believing that. And maybe maybe I'm not giving them the right credit. Maybe, you know, we are all, you know, just sort of keto brainwashed at this point. Uh-huh. Um, I've but had I, patients tell me right. their doctor said no bananas, no... Right. And I just have a really hard time with that yeah. um, because I just can't believe that it was the number of apples that we ate right. that it's drove not. our blood sugars up. No. It just doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Right. And the reason is we know as a dietitian that what's in that apple that's helping with that, the fiber. Right. You've right. got, when you eat carbohydrates like fruits and vegetables, yeah, they, they have carbohydrates in them, but they're also high in fiber. Right. And fiber, we know, decreases your blood glucose levels. Right. And controls them. And as you mentioned, glucose is the preferred fuel for the brain. Mm-hmm. Your brain can run on fat that has been turned into energy, but that's a really inefficient process. Mm-hmm. And the body prefers to run on glucose. Right. But just like you had said, you know, any, and I think you've said this in previous podcasts, and it, it kind of sticks with me, any calorie eaten to excess yes. is stored. Yeah. So protein eaten to excess is stored. Mm-hmm. Fat eaten to excess is stored. So just by avoiding carbohydrates, you don't necessarily fix the issue. Right. And then there is some thought that even eating really high fat can make you even more insulin resistant hmm. than you know, just, you know, having a a healthy mixed diet. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, okay, if, you know, you do get diagnosed with diabetes, you know, what do you do with that? Okay, so the doctor throws you the no carb thing. Right. But what happens when you come to see a dietitian? If I were a new patient, what would you tell me? Yeah, well, first off, please go see a dietitian. Absolutely. First step. I can't tell you how many clients came to me after years and years of fighting this themselves. Right. And just reading online and seeing what they can see online. Right. Uh, even this really, you know, reference article that I'm referring to right now just, you know, can be misinterpreted and misinformed. Basically, what I recommend is that if you're going to change one thing in your diet Mm -hmm. with me on the first visit is I'm going to look at what you normally eat in a day Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about that mixed diet you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Making sure that when you eat you're having a combination of carbs, protein, and fat. So I thought of you before we came because <laughs> I so I was not quite hungry for lunch. It's yeah. it's mid after like early afternoon here in uh-huh. Ohio and I wasn't super hungry, but I knew I was gonna be hungry afterwards. So mm-hmm. I just grabbed an apple mm-hmm. and I sat down and I ate my apple 
And I thought, well, this is a mistake <laughs> if I sit down here and just eat this apple. Uh-huh. Because by the time we're done podcasting today, I'm going to be really hungry. Yep. Yeah. So got a little bit of some aged cheese out of the fridge, uh-huh. ate the cheese with my apple. And I can tell you right now, as I'm sitting here, I'm not hungry. Perfect. Perfect. Right. Because Good I combination. mixed that carbohydrate and that protein slash fat. Right. Right. Yep. Perfect. That's what I'm talking about. And so many of my clients, just with that simple step, the next time they come back, we see so much better blood sugar control, right? Right. So take it one step at a time. What are you willing to do? And you know what I mean? So the first step, not everybody needs to go into immediately counting carbohydrates and knowing exactly how many carbohydrates are coming from everything that you eat. Right. Right. Now, we do take a step back and we do talk about where do carbohydrates come from. So right. we should probably talk about that real quick, too. There are three main types of carbohydrates in our food. We have starches or carbo- <laughs> just general carbohydrates, sugar, and fiber. Right. And so foods that are high in carbohydrates or starch are your starchy vegetables. So peas, corn, lima beans, potatoes, and then you have dried beans, lentils, peas, pinto beans, kidney beans, black eye beans, split peas, all those types of beans. And then you've got grains, oats, barley, rice, uh, the, and then wheat products such as pasta, bread, crackers. Um, so those are, those are the main types of, of carbohydrates in our diet, plus fruits and vegetables so apples are a significant amount Mm -hmm. of carbohydrates right so i talk about that a little bit i think one thing my patients are always somewhat kind of shocked to know is when i come to see them for the first time and i'm like they're like oh i need to avoid carbs so no more bread and pasta i said you do know fruits a carb right Right. You do know milk has carbohydrates. carbohydrates. That yep. always seems to be a revelation mm-hmm. to many of my patients because that's not when they think of carbohydrates, they think of spaghetti. Right. They think of, you know, a, right. a marathon runner carb loading. Right. And there are so many other healthy foods that have right. carbohydrates. Even those really healthy, you know, low carb vegetables have some degree of carbohydrate yeah, in them. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. They're so. very surprised by that. Um, the other thing I see my patients trying to get into, and maybe this is where the banana thing comes from, is the glycemic index. And yes. I find the glycemic index to be extremely hard to teach and limiting. I do too. Because it is, um, and you might see this in, in references when you read about diabetes, about the GI index of mm-hmm. foods. The the caveat with the, the GI index is that it's affected by so much else. Right. The glycemic index is just looking at one food. Right. How how your body responds to eating that 100 grams of that one food. Right. But rarely do we sit down and eat one food. Correct. In that, you know, particular portion. Right. And so it's, it's also affected by the ripeness, you know. Uh, certain types of bananas, yeah. if they're greener, they have a different glycemic index than if they have black spots on them. Right. Yeah. Again, very difficult for patients to utilize that on a daily basis. Although yeah. I think we can take some lessons from the GI uh-huh. index. I mean, I, I talk about, you know, utilizing berries, Mm-hmm. with people with diabetes because they tend to have a little bit less of an effect on blood sugar. Yep. But that I would also be giving the same speech because they are high in fiber. <laughs> you know, right. like, you know they're, they're just really good for you. Right, right. Right, so well, it has nothing really to do at that point with the GI index. No, I think then it comes down to, think about that. Think about berries versus a banana. Right. How, what is a serving size of berries? Right. So when we talk about a standard serving size, we're basically usually talking about the same amount of food. And when you start talking about the 
diabetic exchanges that are out there. Right. If you think about it in that terms, so what you're saying is for every 15 grams of carbohydrate, that's a serving. Right. So when you talk about a banana, it's four inches of a banana right. is 15 grams. Right. It goes quick. It goes quick. Four right. inches of banana, four bites and I'm done. Right. Versus berries, it's a cup and a quarter right. before you get to 15 grams. Right. Much more satisfying. It's much more satisfying. But that's where we're villainizing the banana and we shouldn't. Right. Because both of those things have 15 grams of carbohydrates. It doesn't matter. And it has nutrients in it. Right. Both of them have benefits to them. And we just say bananas are horrible. Right. And we shouldn't eat bananas. Right. I don't get it. Well, and I hear the same thing with carrots, especially where the glycemic index is concerned, is Mm -hmm. all the sugar in carrots. And people need to realize that that, that's just not an accurate depiction of of what carrots have in them. Right. (laughs) I think it's a cup of carrots is a serving size. Right. It's a pretty big serving. It's a pretty big serving. And I don't know about you, but I don't tend to like to eat carrots by themselves. Like, I love baby carrots. Right. And I'll do dipped in hummus. Right. So there I've got beans and I've got some protein. Right. And Mix it with some cauliflower and broccoli. And then, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's a definitely, a, you know, right. nobody's necessarily, it's, it's hard to sit down and eat a big serving of carrots. All yes. the people can do it, I know. But you're um, not likely to have a huge impact on that blood sugar response, right. I would think. Right. And it's not it's not gonna be it's not going to raise it in because a you significant can't eat way. Enough to exactly. get to the point where you see the results that they were talking about in the glycemic index. I right. think. Right. Again that the portion sizes were, were so extreme on that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, and like you mentioned, we also have carbohydrates from things like milk mm-hmm. and milk has protein in it. Right. And so to me, when I'm talking to a diabetic, milk is great. But guess what I'm dealing with now? Most of my clients at this point have gotten the message that for some reason they're scared of cow's milk and they're not drinking cow's milk or they've made the change to like an almond milk or um, soy milk. Yeah. Soy milk actually has some protein. Right, too. that's true. So it's yeah. the the difference is like I'm I'm like great milk is fine because it's a great balance. Right. It's that that balance of what right. you're eating. And it's soy got milk carbs has, yeah. and protein. Yeah, and soy milk also Very has similar. carbs and protein. But when we talk about the almond milk and and those types of things and coconut milk and those rice types milk. of things, rice milk. Yes, those don't have the protein in them right. to combat the carbohydrates, which then right causes higher blood sugar spikes. When so many of those milk, I guess I'm putting that in quotes, yeah. beverages, because I mm-hmm. guess I know there's controversy whether we should even call it milk. Right. Because who's, <laughs> who's milk in an almond? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, there's some controversy whether we call that milk, but they also tend to be sweetened mm-hmm. because they aren't as palatable. Yeah. You know, right. when they're unsweetened. I mean, some people will do unsweetened almond milk or unsweetened yeah. and rice milk, and, mm-hmm. and good for you if you do that. But a lot of these flavor, these milks have flavorings in them. Yeah. And then you have, you know, dark chocolate and almond milk, while it's delicious, right. is not necessarily the healthiest choice mm-hmm. um, in terms of there is, you know, you're adding sugar right. to that beverage. Right. Without yeah. the protein. Without the protein to counteract to it. To counteract it. Yep. <sighs> yep. So. 
that's another that's another day is talking about these <laughs> milk controversies. I was reading an article recently, just kind of laying out all of these yeah. different milks in quotes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really fascinating stuff. That would be a good one for it a future really podcast. Is. All right, we'll yeah. write that down. Yes, that's <laughs> So when we talk about carbs, there are definitely carbs that we need to consume because they have nutrients that our bodies need in addition to the carbohydrate Mm -hmm. for energy. We don't want to completely eliminate carbohydrates. But like I said, having a little bit of protein and a little bit of fat with your carbs is what what I'm looking for and what I say is a great first step for getting a better healthy diet going okay and 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 that helps with so many other things because when you're doing that and you're eating balanced what a lot of times my clients will come back to me and say hey that was great because I actually wasn't hungry right away either right you know normally I was eating a bowl of cereal with skim milk and I was hungry really quickly but you know we added a little more protein to that meal and a little bit of fat and all of a sudden they felt full longer right and their blood sugars were longer were uh, controlled for much longer the one carbohydrates that we need to maybe be careful for are the added sugars right so that is definitely something that we should be watching out for as a diabetic. Right. So if we're working on that mixed diet, mm-hmm. but we're still having some blood sugar control issues, then we need to start looking at, is there added sugar going on? It right. might be causing a an, an problem here. Right. The first place I tend to look with my patients is beverages. Yeah. And I know we're yep. going to get into diet soda, regular soda mm-hmm. here in a little bit. Yep. Beverages to me really it, it can be an issue. Yeah. Um, because there are sugar sweetened beverages that we don't even necessarily consider to be sugar sweetened. Right. We don't think about it. Um, right. We think about well, if I'm not drinking pop, great. But maybe I'm drinking lemonade mm-hmm. or sweet tea. I right. was even looking. There was a tea that I was looking at the other day that looked like it was like a hibiscus flavor. And I was like, oh, that looks so good. Uh-huh. I almost bought some until I flipped that label over. Yeah. And I was like, goodness gracious, there's all kinds of added sugar in this. Hmm. I was hoping for just like a nice unsweetened hibiscus tea. Yeah. Not not what I was going to be buying there. Right. Um, so the, some of the, especially the teas in particular, mm-hmm. the vitamin waters can be extremely deceptive. Yep. Because they feel like healthy that's mm-hmm. tea that can't be bad for me or that's vitamin water that's great that's a great right. choice it's got vitamins in it yeah i'm that's, surprised by how many waters have added right, sugar to right. them too so just be <clears throat> cautious when you're buying yeah. those flavored beverages yep. that you're not purchasing something with added sugars in it unnecessarily mm-hmm. you know you, a lot of the carbonated waters now that are kind of like the you know the flavored bubbly things like mm-hmm. that tend to be pretty low in carbohydrates mm-hmm. and sugar but just always check that label. Even if it looks like it's a healthy choice from yeah. the front, yeah. always check that label to make sure there's not added stuff sneaking in that you didn't expect. Yep. Great advice. Um, what about fruit juice and diabetes? What are your takes on that? I know with gestational diabetes, we still discourage it. Yeah. Um, but what are your thoughts on your patients with with type 2 diabetes? So first thing is, I definitely want to look at, is it 100% fruit juice or just fruit juice that's maybe like Sunny D, which it says that it's got fruit juice in it, but it's 10%, you know. Right. So if it's 100% fruit juice, we talk about doing it in moderation. I still recommend then no more than four to six ounces at a time because that's when we get to that 15 grams of carbohydrate, right? Right. So I'm kind of looking at it's okay in moderation, Mm -hmm. but 
again, if and with a mixed diet. Right. So never standalone juice for sure. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's yeah, it's going to spike the blood sugar, drop the blood sugar quite. However, yeah, I just, I, I think, I think there's something to be said with 100% fruit juice. If somebody's really used to having a glass of orange juice every morning for breakfast, mm-hmm. I'm not going to take it away. We're going to reduce the portion and then make it a part of a mixed meal. Right. You know, of course, there are also reduced sugar options for those things now, too. Mm-hmm. I've seen some of the 50% less sugar yep. juices. Could try something like that. Yeah, something that's a little bit less mm-hmm. um, of a punch there yeah. with sugar. Um, the other thing I try to remind my patients, I think you probably sure you do, too, is that, you know, if you can, think about eating two oranges versus drinking a glass Correct. of orange juice. Yeah, the that's am- always better. <laughs> right. The amount of time it would take you to eat or- two oranges, first of all, peeling takes time. Yeah. You know, sectioning <laughs> takes time, removing uh-huh. all the little extra white things yeah. take time before you eat them. Well, I you like know, those that, parts. Right, that, I know I'm weird, but... <laughs> that all takes a lot of time. Right, right. And that slows you down. It does. And it, again, makes it a more satisfying eating experience. Yeah. So, you know, this is, again, something I feel like physicians could say is, hey... Instead of doing fruit juice, eat some whole fruit. Mm -hmm. Instead of being just saying no, no carbohydrates, right? right? Sitting down and eating two oranges, you know, the time that it's going to take you to do that is going to slow you down enough to really enjoy it. But that's another thing I hear a lot from my clients is, oh, my doctor said no fruit or they think no fruit. Right. Because it's sugar. Yeah. So we've got natural sugar and we've got added sugar. Right. We do not think at this point natural sugars are of any harm to anyone. Right. Certainly, if you have diabetes, you need to count them as part of your entire carbohydrate count. Yep. I'm not saying that it's a free-for-all. Right, right. Not at all. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But what I'm saying is that, you know, you can work those in on a right. very part of a very healthy mixed diet with some protein, you know, and yep. or fat to, again, make a very satisfying, healthy snack. Yep. So that gets to my second tip is usually portion control. So we're kind of dancing around that a little bit anyway. But yeah, so mixed diet and then focus on controlling your portions because that does have an impact as well. The thing that can cause blood sugars to spike in a meal, even if it's a mixed meal, is if it's a big heavy meal. Right. So it doesn't matter whether it's carb heavy or not. If you have a high calorie meal... It's going to cause your blood sugars. No matter where those calories came from. No matter where the calories came from. Right. So that's important to note too and start paying attention and having smaller meals. Right. Is more important. I will say the one thing that drives me nuts about those diabetic exchange lists, and maybe you've had that situation too where somebody will say, I can have half a banana. And so they think they have to put the other half in the trash. Right. No, that's no. not what I'm saying at all. You can mm-hmm. eat the whole banana, but you have to be aware that that portion then is double right. what is recommended. It doesn't yeah. mean you can only have a half a cup of pasta. That would look pathetic on a plate. Correct. You know, so yes, yes you can have pasta and then maybe some vegetables mixed in and kind of bulk it up a little bit. But right. yeah, those portion sizes always kind of make me a little like, mm. you know I, know, I don't know a lot of people who eat half a bagel. No. And call, yeah. that a, call that breakfast. Correct. It's just not, not the case. Correct. So eventually where we end up with some clients that really need better, even more blood sugar control is to focus on how much carbs to have in a meal. Right. And so, yeah, you could have a whole banana and that is your carbs for that meal. Right. right. But, and then still comparing it with some protein and, and some, some fat. So... Yeah, 
That's a great point. You don't have to just stop at a half a banana because that's a serving size. Right. You can eat more than the serving, just like you would on a regular Nutrition Facts label. We eat more than sometimes on the serving. Yeah. That's one thing I guess I would like to see updated at some point. If we're talking Mm. about exchange lists, let's Mm -hmm. talk about what more normal portions people eat. Yeah. You know, again, most people are going to eat the entire English muffin, not not half of an English muffin, or you're going to have two slices of bread on their sandwich instead of, you know, one. Um, maybe and a little it's a, bit more realistic. It's trade-offs. So it's it's for me a typical breakfast would be with a glass of milk too. So mm-hmm. maybe you know the whole English muffin. Maybe I feel like eating more of it or something like that. Then you know maybe I'm used to eating a half of an English muffin with a glass of milk, but I want to eat the whole English muffin that right. day. You can change it. You can right. swap out, save the milk for later. Do right. just the English muffin for breakfast. Right. So. You know, and I think that's. What I like about working with a dietitian and having mm-hmm. is to learning to to be flexible. Right, the flexibility the, that you need. Right. This is where when you say give up carbs, you take away people's flexibility. Yep. You take away their flexibility to have a piece of birthday cake, or to eat exactly. um, apples from the orchard, or to mm-hmm. eat strawberries from the farmers market. You're taking mm-hmm. away people's flexibility, yep. and not teaching them anything yep. about how to live with this long term. Because saying I'm giving up carbs, let's say you're 45 years old, and mm-hmm. you know, Lord willing, you're going to live another 45 years. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not really realistic for people. They're right. going to go back to eating some of those things, and then we just set people up for failure. Yeah, exactly. Instead of saying, here, let's learn to work with this condition so you can live a more flexible lifestyle with it. Yes. Yep. So we talked about the mixed diet, um, but I think fiber is also important. Okay. We mentioned it earlier. Fiber comes from plant-based foods. So there's not fiber in milk, eggs, protein, fish. And a healthy adult needs 25 to 30 grams of fiber a day. And those come from, guess where that comes from, though? It does come from beans and legumes, black beans, kidney beans, chickpeas, lentils, fruits and vegetables, especially those with edible skins. So to your point, it's always better if I can switch somebody from a juice to a fruit, like Mm -hmm. eating, it's better. Nuts actually also have fiber. Mm -hmm. So peanuts, walnuts, almonds are a great source of fiber, healthy fat. And then whole grains, such as whole grain pastas, whole grain cereals, um, anything with three grams or more of fiber per day is what, or per serving, sorry, is what I'm looking for right. on a label. Right. So, and that's some, that can be tricky, especially when you're buying bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people get tricked into the brown bread equals right. whole fiber. wheat or right. whole grain or fiber, <laughs> and that's just not the case at all. So no. again, look for those labels. Yep. Um, look under that total carbohydrate, look for that dietary fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, again, three grams per slice is great. More yeah. is even better. Yep. I will say though, if you are increasing your fiber, be kind of careful when you uh-huh. get started because you can make yourself kind of uncomfortable if you've yes. been a low fiber eater as most <laughs> right. of us are. Yeah. Um, I mean, I will say I've been practicing for almost 20 years and I can count on one hand the number of people that I've met who eat enough fiber. Yep. Myself is not included in that. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I do not eat enough fiber. It's a struggle. I it is think a struggle. about it every you really day. You have to be conscious of it. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, be careful when you do this, when you, you increase that fiber because you don't want to be uncomfortable. Right. Drink plenty of fluids when mm-hmm. you're increasing your fiber as well to help that fiber move through your digestive system in a more comfortable way. Yep. 
All right. The other thing maybe, and maybe this is just getting back to basics that I see is that, you know, just getting people to eat frequently. Uh And, you know, we're all in a society of being too busy for breakfast, sometimes too busy for lunch. And we've talked about this in previous podcasts, I think, about people who sort of front, you know, backload their calories, Mm -hmm. eat, you know, nothing for breakfast and a very light lunch or just a salad. And then by the time they get home, it's eat or be eaten. I mean, they're just... Uh starving and that's understandable and that's not good for any of us for our blood sugars right whether you have diabetes or not really what we're talking about today is the way everyone should eat that's what kills me is people get so upset with a diagnosis of of diabetes and it's like you know what this is the way everybody should be eating right and yeah we we need to stop skipping meals and we need to eat consistently throughout the day because that's the way your blood sugar typically works right your body has a constant amount of blood sugar in the bloodstreams. Right. The other thing is if you're taking diabetes medication, in particular insulin, you must eat. Yeah. You must. Right. Um, Because, again, that I always tell my my patients, your medication works whether you ate or not. Yeah. Your your medication doesn't know you didn't eat. Right. So So it's going to work, and then you're going to experience a low, and that certainly can be a very serious situation. Right. In some some cases, it's mild, but in a lot of cases, it can be very serious. Yeah. Uh, So it's really important not to skip those meals. And again, that feels kind of basic to say eat three meals a day, but maybe that's one of the things I work on first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say the vast majority of people that I've worked with struggle yeah. Yeah. with eating three meals a day. And I know that you've probably right? experienced that as well. Yeah. Um, because sure. we are just, we find that we think we're too busy right. f- to eat. Or if we don't eat all day, that's better for our blood sugars. Yeah. And then eat a big meal at night. And that's just not not no. the case at all. It's not, it's not, especially when we're going down that path of diabetes. And I, I wonder if that's why we're seeing also an increased amount of diabetes type 2 adult mm-hmm. where, you know, we hadn't in the past is because we're seeing them uh, skip meals more. I wonder how much of that plays into throwing your whole system off. Right. Because you're not consistently eating and not letting the body work the way that it wants to work by releasing insulin on a regular basis. As opposed to this big, you know, huge, like... Bolus. Right, bolus of insulin. (laughs) guess that's a dietitian term. Right, out of the the pancreas that because you've you've not been eating... Yeah you know, during the day. I think that's definitely something to be to be aware of. So, you know, if you're looking for prevention of diabetes, and we hope that Diabetes yeah. Month gets you to think about maybe your prevention strategy, mm-hmm. maybe this is one thing, if you can kind of take a stock of what your diet looks like, this is something you can do. You can say, hey, I really do, I never eat breakfast, or yeah. I never eat breakfast and I have, you know, a, a cup of soup for lunch, and then I wonder why I'm real hungry at night. Right. Maybe yeah. say, okay, maybe I need to take stock of front-loading my calories a little bit. Yeah. And I have to say, just from personal experience, it works really well. It does. You know, if I eat a bigger breakfast, I find at night I am much less munchy Yes. after dinner. I much know. less. And I, I can tell on days that I've been too skimpy with breakfast. Yeah. Because For me, it's breakfast and lunch. Right. I need to keep them both up a little more, and it helps so much at night. Right. Yeah. It really keeps those cravings down at mm-hmm. night. You think you're saving calories. You yeah. think you're banking some calories. Right. But you're really not. All you're doing is setting yourself to overeat those later. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So just a final thought on, you know, when we don't control diabetes, the problem is unless you are going into those highs and lows, 
you're not really feeling the effects. And right. we don't really know when our blood sugars are maybe slightly high right. and slightly low. And so it's really important to get our blood sugars under control. And if we do leave it untreated and poorly controlled, diabetes does cause blindness, nerve mm-hmm. damage, kidney disease, and other health problems. So, right. it, But that's long-term down the road. Right. That's the one bad thing about diabetes is you don't really see the cause effect so quickly with right. a, with a diet that's not adequate or right. meeting your needs. Right. And and that's also with, you know, people who are undiagnosed sometimes mm-hmm. come into situations either, you know, they've not been to the doctor for many years or, you know, lacking, uh, you know, insurance to get tested for things unfortunately yeah. or to be, you know, properly given medication or mm-hmm. follow up and and we see this just so much more than we should yeah, see it I think so. in a developed country yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where patients have not been given or have had the opportunity for adequate care and those complications then become extremely expensive and extremely debilitating long term so to me there has to be a lot of motivation to say okay we've got to figure out how to make these things more affordable for people as well so that they can treat their diabetes early Mm -hmm. and be monitored long term rather than waiting till they are struggling with their vision or are struggling with keeping a leg, (laughs) you know, or something that's just terrible that these complications can occur. Yep. Um, It's one of the things that I think if we can talk to patients early, get them into a dietitian, get them into a dietitian long term to talk to somebody, it can really, really make a big difference. And and again, so much more nuanced than don't eat carbs, see you later. (laughs) Right. And I really feel like, you know, that's, we're going to continue to struggle until we think a little bit harder about right. how to treat this condition. Yep. So. so with that in mind, all right. let's head to our little debate here. So do you want to go first? So regular or... soda versus diet soda. You got the clock? I've got the clock. So right. put it here so I can see it. Okay, <laughs> so okay, so okay. I know, know how much um, longer I have. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about diet soda versus regular soda. It's debate time. Okay. All right. So... I think everybody talks about whether you prefer Coke or Pepsi, right? Yeah. I'm a Coke girl, Diet Coke, <laughs> yep. whatever. But really, the biggest debate around pop is probably diet pop versus regular pop. So let's talk about the pros of diet soda here to, to get started. Okay. Of course, diet soda replaces that added sugar with a, what we call a non-nutritive sweetener. Typically, most often we find aspartame, although I see some sweetened with stevia. Some of them are sweetened with sucralose. But typically, we mostly see aspartame in diet sodas. Most of us would not recommend them as a get started with diet soda. You'll be so much happier. Ideally, obviously, we want people to drink water. But I consider diet soda a great um, alternative when you want that sweet taste, you want that fizziness, you're somebody who maybe has been drinking regular soda maybe your entire life, and now it's time to make that switch, but you're not really ready to make the switch all the way to water, diet soda can be a really great option. We know it can reduce calories, and that just makes sense. If you look at a regular soda, we're talking about 150 calories. You talk about a diet soda, we're talking about zero. Talk about carbohydrates and added sugars, they're eliminated when you use diet soda. Uh, We also know that it can help improve blood sugar uh, when taken with a meal. So again, if you're drinking a diet soda with a meal versus a regular soda, again, you can really reduce that that, uh, effect on your blood sugar. 
We do think, though, maybe, you know, and again, there's been a lot of research on the health effects of diet soda. There's also been a lot of rumors about the health effects of diet soda. The one I hear most often is it's so high in salt. Diet diet soda is so high in sodium. Like, has anybody looked at the label recently? It's not high in sodium. Uh, So there's a lot of rumors that go around in terms of diet soda. We also know that, uh, and there's been extensive research, people worry about its risks of cancer. Uh, This kind of all goes back to uh, saccharin, which was the the pink, the sweet and low, um, back in the, you know, 80s and 90s, and the risk of bladder cancer in rats turned out. That was specific to rats. It had nothing to do with humans. Um, humans do not develop bladder cancer because they use artificial sweetener. And there have been just been hundreds upon thousands of studies that show that you are not going to develop cancer from using a diet soda. In terms of weight, I think the debate is continuing because there are some studies that show an association between people who drink diet soda and people who uh, struggle with their weight. But remember, association does not mean cause and effect. It could be those who use diet sodas to control their weight would have had trouble controlling their weight anyway. And so they're using diet sodas as a mean to control their weight, even though it's not necessarily effective for them to control their weight. So that's it. (laughs) Three minutes. All right, go for it. Let me reset here. I like to see you defend regular soda and go. <laughs> I'm excited for this. Okay. <laughs> when we picked right. this, we picked this. I jumped on the diet soda because I knew it would be easier. <laughs> so. well, yeah, I think you did get the easier one. Yeah. So really, there is no nutritional value of drinking sodas whatsoever, whether we're talking diet or regular. But an occasional soda every once in a while might be okay, right? Uh, the main difference with drinking a regular soda versus a diet is it does taste great without the strange aftertaste found in in diet sodas, which I know some people get used to. I personally cannot. So regular soda does contain um, sugar and or high fructose corn syrup. And these are empty calories. Uh, One can has about 150 calories. So to me, I feel like I can defend regular soda because if you can drink it in moderation mm-hmm. and you're you're drinking it, like we said, at a time when you're having a mixed meal, it's not going to spike your blood sugars as much. It, I mean, it <laughs> as if you did it by itself, but it's really not necessarily going to uh, lead to weight gain if it's something you do every once in a while. Okay, let's see here. Now, the dentist actually would probably be the biggest um, voice against any sugary drink because of the tooth decay. But um, again, if you're doing it in moderation and you brush your teeth afterwards, there's no reason why you couldn't have a regular soda every once in a while. And that's all you got. That's all I got. That's all I got. And that's only that like was, an, a minute and 40 seconds. God bless you. So, <laughs> I know. It was not. I mean, so yeah. The reality is there's no there's no real great thing about drinking sodas whatsoever. Right. However, when I have somebody who has diabetes or prediabetes, then that's something we look at is if you're not willing to give up your sodas, at least switch to diet. Right. Because it doesn't have the problems of spiking. Right. You know, it doesn't count towards your carbohydrate content and it's not going to... Right. have as big of an effect on your blood sugars, right. which the, is an advantage right. for sure. <laughs> if you have concerns about diet soda, 
sure, go ahead and have those concerns. If you have concerns about weight gain or craving sweets or right. those types of things, but the answer is not to return to regular soda. No, no. The answer is to make that next step down to water or sparkling water right. or whatever it is you like. Right. The answer is not to go back to Coke. Right. You know, uh, if you're worried about Diet Coke. Yeah. For years and years and years, um, you know, I've been able to just drink a regular pop every once in a while. There's right. certain times where... It's a treat. If Yeah, it's a treat for me. Sometimes it's when I'm just not feeling good. Like if I'm feeling sick, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like a little Sprite can help settle the stomach too. Right. And it, so for me, I've never done it on a daily basis. Right. I think the problem is when we're doing the regular drinks on a daily daily basis. Absolutely. That's that's when it becomes a problem because 150 calories a day, I think it ends up being about 10 pounds of weight by the end of the year. So if those are in excess of everything that your body needs, you're going to gain weight. Right. And it's not great. And unfortunately, most people who are drinking regular soda or anything have trouble stopping at one can. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Once that's, you get used to right, it. If you're, and if you're putting one, way mm-hmm. one with every meal or in yeah. between meals, all of a sudden now you're at four or five yeah. cans a day or bottles a day. Mm-hmm. It really can add up quickly from yeah. a caloric perspective. And sometimes just making that change, people need to do no, nothing else right. to manage weight or sometimes yeah. even just to get started with diabetes Yeah, is to remove those, those oh, sugary yeah, beverages. Sure. It just makes such a huge difference for people. Right. It really does. Yeah. So... If you're a doctor saying, don't eat carbohydrates, maybe say, hey, are you drinking pop? Maybe we can cut back on the pop. Right. That's a good first step. Right. That's a good first step. Work with a dietitian. And work with a dietitian. Right. It'll make your life happier. Yeah. We're nice. We promise. (laughs) (laughs) So we look forward to more show ideas. We're going to be getting into some holiday talk here in the next few podcasts. Visit our website at www.secretliferd.com. You can also email us your show ideas, questions, debate topics, whatever you want to talk to us about at dish at secretliferd.com. Have a great week and we'll see you wherever you get your podcasts.